Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Pastor Daniel. I'm moving over here in the shade because I don't want that to be a distraction as I try to read with my already dismal eyesight. I am glad that you're here today. And can you believe it? We're at the end of Philippians. We're at chapter 4, and this is part 4. It's the final uh, sermon in the series. So if you would today, you have your Bibles, please turn to Philippians chapter 4. I'm over here messing up Chris's workstation here, so Chris, I'm sorry. I'm doing my best not to foul you up here, brother. Pastor Daniel, thank you so much for reading and praying with us. Uh, the James, the passage from James is almost a parallel passage to what we're going to read today. It's kind of worded and framed a little differently, but some of the, a lot of the same concepts, almost identical in terms of the path it takes. Uh, and so we look forward to that as to what God will do for us. And I hope this has been a blessing to you. And you know, as we're outside, we're able to kind of look around and we could see the beauty of God's creation. Um, there are people who are outside today that have heavy hearts and they can't see the blue sky. And they can't see the beautiful contrast between the green and the blue and the floating white that goes by. They can't see it. It's, they're overwhelmed with grief or they're overwhelmed with trouble that's in their life that is... It feels like a weight they just can't bear. Paul is speaking to a group of people who are having to deal with false teaching. They're having to deal with Roman rule in their lives. And they're having to deal with maybe even some rejection by their own family members for leaving paganism or leading Judaism and and converting to Christianity. So aside from all the normal stuff that happens in people's lives, they're dealing with this as new believers. So I want us to keep this in mind as we read, as Paul begins to exhort them, and he begins to tell about what they mean to him, and he begins to talk to them about what they should mean to each other and, and how they should interpret this life that they're living. And I want to call you to something today as a church. I want to call you... To, to the thought that is going to be expressed almost throughout chapter 4. We, as a people, are responsible for the way we think. It doesn't happen to us like we're passive, and this happens to us. It is active. We actively choose to think on things in our life from day to day. The, the sin that is out there, the sin that we can commit with our eyes, the sin we can commit with our words, the sin we can commit with, with uh, our hearts and no one knows about it. These are not things that happen to us like we're a victim. These are things that happen as a result of the path that we take uh, in, in, our, in our desire to live a righteous and holy life. Now, remember, last week we talked about that Paul's not talking about perfectionism, right? He's not talking about perfectionism, that, you know, the goal is to be perfect. That's not what we're talking about here. But we are talking about perseverance. Paul's going to continue that theme. There is a sense that every single day we get up, 
we need to persevere in our faith. And, and in that, God gives us some very specific ways that we can manage the thoughts that we have as a people that are still struggling with sin. The Church of Philippi is the first Christian church in Europe. Think of the plan of God as he's, as he's moving what we know now to be almost a Western religion, in a sense. We know it's all over the world, but we know the dominance in Western, in, in Western society of Christianity. But back then, this was not so. So here's the first church that's planted in Europe. It's planted during Paul's second missionary journey. It's about 10 miles inland. It's on a fertile plain. And there are trade routes that go through this area on the way to Rome. And it makes it a very strategic site. God calls Paul to go to this place, specifically go to this place and plant a church. It is the will of God that this happen. Not free of difficulty, but it is his will that he go there. So he goes. And Philippi, as we said last week was a colony established by the Greeks. It was conquered by the Romans. And now it's being colonized by citizens of the New Jerusalem. So we're in the final stretch here. We're going to do, I'm going to have to increase the time here to two minutes, but we're going to do a two minute review of chapter one and two. What have we discovered about this theme that Paul has. He begins in chapter 1 and he restates it again in chapter 4. That is partnership in the gospel of Jesus Christ. What are we learning about this partnership? Well, first thing we, we learned, it's a cause for rejoicing. It's a great thing. It advances the gospel. It has purpose. It strengthens the body. It unites our minds and emotions behind a mission. As a people, we have a common mission. It's characterized by humility. God likens our gifts as parts of a body. And parts of the body don't function well unless they all work together. So it, it's characterized by humility. It's, it accrues a heavenly reward. We're not, we're not doing these things to, to gain some type of earthly reward, but a heavenly one. It's secured, as we learned last week, it's secured by covenant. We are children of Abraham. This is what we're destined to do by God's hand. It's the providence of God for your life. By way of promise, a covenant of promise that he has made with us. And as we talked about last week, Jesus is the treasure in the midst of this. Jesus is the treasure. That's a special thought to think about because we live in a society where Jesus is not the treasure. Jesus is used to sell things, but Jesus is not the treasure in American society. It's just not. In many cases, he is the cause of great division and great hostility. But to believers... We're a different group of people. We're, we have a different citizenship. We are, we're united in this thought that Jesus is our treasure. And when we read about sad or terrible things that happen to other people in other parts of the world, we remember, and we talked about this last night in our, our small group, no matter how bad things get, we have Jesus. And in this life that is passing by us faster than we know, we might think, well, you know, I'm middle-aged. I'm thinking maybe 80. Well, our dear friend died at 46. And there are many others of you that know people that have died in their 40s and early 50s as a result of COVID or cancer or some other kind of thing, right? We we don't know how long we're going to live. We all have an allotted time. But I'll tell you what we do have allotted, and we'll get to that in more detail. We have heaven in store for us because of Jesus 
Jesus needs to be your treasure. If you came here today and you have a divided allegiance about who your treasure is, you, if you're a believer and you're walking your Christ, you need to repent of that. And you need, to put the, you need to put the priorities where they should be. Perseverance. And the other is that we, we persevere or this partnership per- perseveres to the day of Christ Jesus. Listen to this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 through 6. I thank my God in all my, my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for, all, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day until now, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ when he returns. Do nothing, chapter 2, verse 3 through 5, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in all humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We're going to talk about that mind today. Galatians 3, 7 through 9 says, There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Philippians 3, 8 through 9 says, Indeed, I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And then Philippians 3, 13b through 14 says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, in straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on forward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then that verse from Matthew is one of my favorites, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Think about your personal testimony. Some people were saved as children, some were saved as an adults, and some in between. It doesn't really matter what your story is. When we find Jesus, that is the pearl of great price. The temptation that the devil brings to us is that we borrow back from the world the things, the few wretched things that give them joy. And that that can become, infiltrate our lives and become the dominant theme in our life. Materialism is what people today believe is going to make them happy. They believe if, they have, if they're rich, if they're famous, if they have power, this will make them happy. And that some, somehow this is, this is the thing that we need to pursue with all our hearts. We're going to learn from Philippians chapter 4 today. This just can't be true for the believer. I'm going to move this over just a bit because of the sun. Paul is going to apply the truth of Christ Jesus' kingdom and our calling to stand firm in our daily life. He's going to continue the call to persevere. And he does something so sweet, he expresses his love and joy for the saints at Philippi, his partners in the gospel. He calls believers to rejoice. And listen to this. Free their troubled minds with the goodness of God. They go, well, that's just an attribute of God. God has many attributes. Yeah, he does. But 
This specific attribute is used by Paul and is used in the book of James to convey to us this is the difference between how we think. What really, what good is there out there that you're setting your face toward, you're thinking about, you're planning about, you're dreaming about? You may be frustrated if you're not there yet toward attaining it. What is that thing? There's something very simplistic about the idea of the goodness of God. You know why? Because we see it everywhere, do we not? Look up. Isn't this beautiful? God could have made it all grayscale, right? <laughs> could all be grayscale. We could all be the same color. How boring would that be? We could all have the same culture. Very boring. We could all be the same gender. Very boring. God has given us all around that we can look. Different ethnicities, different genders, different... That's two genders, by the way. And he's, he's given us color, and he's given us complexity and texture. And there's just so much to this world that is just by itself beautiful. It's just beautiful. Oftentimes we don't see it because we're so wrapped up in the things we worry about. But this truly is a beautiful world. Maybe you remember that song. I wish I could remember the words of it. It's, it's, it's a secular song, but it's uh, What a Wonderful World. And I don't remember the man who sang. He's got a silky voice. But um, it just makes you just want to, to me, it's like hammock music. You want to get in the hammock and just like he listened to that song. We have skies of blue. You know, and it's just it's so relaxing, right? What it's really describing is something that Christians, and I include myself in this, we forget. We live in a world surrounded by evidence of the goodness of God. Every time we have someone stand up and play a musical instrument for us, where did that come from? That came from God. That came from heaven. A lot of hard work on the individual's part, but that is a gift of God. We've joked about the fact that, unfortunately for hulls, our gift is talking when we should be quiet. So that's a difficult gift to manage, right? We always wanted to have the gift of music, but... We just try, but I mean, I have a guitar in my closet, but you know, like a lot of, and I, and as, as a youth pastor, I, I played chords, but I was never really any good. I was like always on the edge of totally embarrassing myself. There's just something lacking there, but you know what? God provides for the body, doesn't he? He brings to the body and he gives gifts in his goodness. Those that love to teach, those that love to serve, those that love to do good works and care for people when they're in need, those that can sing, those that can uh, play musical instruments, those that have uh, a technical ability to kind of bring it all together and make it work, those that just love people and love going to the hospital and visiting people and being a blessing to them. There's so many different gifts that God gives us. It's because he's good, is it not? It's because God is good. So let's consider that today as we go through and as we consider the last three elements of this partnership. And as we've talked about some people that we love and loss of their loved ones, we know that this is, this is multiplied, right? Especially over the last couple of years, where oftentimes they'll say, well, terrible diseases are out there. We go, yeah, 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 we know that. But we're not really touched by it. And, and we've been touched by COVID. So other people have been touched by COVID, people they know, maybe people they've worked with for 10, 20 years, and they're gone. So we've been touched by this, but it doesn't change the fact that God is good. This is what the world wants to do. The world wants to take what is occurring and use it 
as a weapon against the goodness of God. They hurl accusations. How can a good God do this? Or when you read something from God's word that talks about his justice, I don't know how a God that's good could punish anybody. The sense that somehow God is not good and we are good is, is absolutely tied to our depravity. We are totally depraved to think we're better than God. Think about the audacity of that. Well, if I were God, I'd do it differently. That's, that's predicated upon the thought you, are, you have a, a more sweet and abiding and gentle and loving heart than Almighty God. That's not what God wants us to do. God wants us to see his hand at work. He wants us to see the big picture. So one of the things that this partnership is, it is a lasting community. It's a lasting community. When a lost person has a death in the family, what does the scripture say? It says they sorrow with no hope. They sorrow without hope. Why? Because it's the end of the relationship. It's the end of that community, if you will. Do we not see that word? That, that could be the buzzword in the last five years. Community. Everybody's seeking community. Social media is supposed to be community. Really. The devil's offerings are always cheap counterfeits of the sustaining, beautiful things God offers to us. And when we pursue the counterfeit rather than the true thing, it's going to make us not only unhappy, it's going to make us very anxious because we're going to realize after a period of time, this was a lie. I've been pursuing something that's not real. Now, the, now we're, we're seeing all kinds of psychologists and sociologists in the secular world coming forward and saying, social media is very damaging. Okay, what, what, what's the alternative? Well, real friendship, real community. God invented community, did he not? He created Adam and Eve, he put them in the garden. What did he do? He communed with them every day. He walked with them in the garden. What disrupted the community? Was it not human sin? Was it not the works of the devil that have corrupted community? And that is the joy of this partnership in the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we become believers, our community is restored with our Heavenly Father. Our community is restored with each other. It doesn't matter what our, if we were born in the north or born in the south or like me, born in Florida with no culture. It doesn't matter where you're born. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. It doesn't matter what language you speak. When you become a believer in Christ, you have instant community. And better than that, you have a lasting community. It will never end. Let's look at verses, uh, Philippians, or we're going to reread chapter, Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject, subject all things to himself. And now in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, therefore, right? Therefore, based on what? What was just said in Philippians chapter 3, right? Therefore, because the Lord's coming again, because he's going to transform and make all things new, because of that. 
Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. My beloved, I entreat Udia and I entreat Syntek to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companions, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Permanence. Permanence. There's so many applications we could go here, right? What's Paul trying to say? Now, there's, different, there's differences of opinion as to what this agreement, disagreement, there's there, the different people think differently about this. But the bottom line is this. As human beings, even people of the same church, do we not have differences of opinion? We do, right? Sometimes one person's opinion is really, really bad. And then another person's is really, really good. Sometimes it's hard to get everybody on the same page. People with bad ideas want their bad ideas implemented. People with good ideas want their good ideas implemented. So what do you do? Paul says it's not about you and your idea. It's not about humanism, that human beings are the only ones that could bring something to a successful experience. It is that we serve the living God who is able to change our hearts and minds. He's able to take a bad idea and turn it into something really good. He's able to take a good idea and make that successful too. Or it could be a good idea that utterly flops. Because it's not what God really wanted at the time. He's got other plans. God's trying to say to them, look, you're you're workers with me side by side. Let's, let's, Let's agree. Let's agree in the Lord. And then he even calls others to say, be peacemakers. What's the theme here? God wants to take the anxiety we have about life. He wants, us to, t- he wants to take the frustrations we have about life. Well, they won't value my idea. I'm not as valued as I think I am. Yes, you are. Paul is reminding them, your name is written in the book of life. This relationship is never going to end. Some of you may be thinking, oh boy, is that going to be really heaven? (laughs) Yes, it will be. Because we're all going to be made new, right? The irritating qualities I have, believe it or not, God can get rid of those too. And those are going to drop away. And in heaven, I'm going to be a much better version of myself than I am now. And so will you. So what has God called us to do? He's called us to remember, he's called us to remember that this is an enduring relationship. It's not just what we're doing right here and now. Think about the folly of somebody that has a mild disagreement with someone in their church. And they decide they're just going to leave. I'm just going to go to another church. Hey, let me, let me put a thought in your head. You're going to see that person in heaven. You might as well just make it right now. Just make it right now. Make up. Love one another. Support one another. Encourage one another. Overlook faults. Why? Because this endures. This relationship's never going to end. It's not like a bad date where you can be like, well, I'm never calling them again. I'm never. No, that's not what this is. This is, this is covenant. This is 
carried out by the power of God. We have been regenerated. We are the children of God. This is an enduring relationship. It will never end. And we'll be in heaven together. And right now, before the Lord returns, he wants us to do something together. He wants us to share the gospel with this city, with this county. I want to encourage you on Saturday. Show up. Say, well, what will I do? Talk about the Lord to anyone who will listen. Say, well, I don't know how to do it. Well, it happened to you, didn't you? Were you converted? Well, yeah. But that's my personality doesn't... No, 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 no. It's not about your personality. It's about the power of God. You trust the power of God to give you the grace to do what he wants you to do. So the sign-up sheet should just be packed. You go, oh, come on, George. I mean, we're all real busy. Sure you are. Sure you are. We're all busy, right? But we're prioritizing. What are we doing? Is it really, really necessary to weed your garden Saturday morning? say, well, obviously you don't love weeding. You don't love gardening. No, I love all those things, sort of, maybe a little bit. That's, that's, that's maybe a half-truth, so I'll have to rescind that. My wife's sitting there, and she's looking at me with a smile on her face. The point is this. If you can't be there for four hours, can you be there for 30 minutes? If you can't be there for four hours, can you be there for two? It's not about necessarily, I'm going to go to every event the church has, and I'm going to be there the entire time. Sometimes it's not necessary for you to be there the whole time. Sometimes it's, it's important for you to realize that your personality isn't the power behind what you're able to do. It's the power of God in you. It's the Spirit of God abiding in you that's going to help you be a witness to a complete and total stranger. I want to encourage you to think about that. Think about it. Well, Paul gives us a therefore. He means because of this truth, right? Because of the truth of the fact that the Lord is returning, he's going to make all this new. All this stuff we're striving after that's very earthly related, it's all going to be gone. Materialism and those that pursued it, I'm sad to say, if they don't repent of their materialism and put their faith and trust in Christ, they will have been judged. They will have a different eternity than the children of God will have. Because of this great truth, the Lord is at hand, we see in verse 4. The Lord's at hand. What do we do? We, we should cherish a heavenly culture. We should cherish a heavenly culture. We talked about last night as we were reading a passage from Revelation in our small group that there are going to be, it appears from Revelation, that there is going to be cultural nuances that make it into heaven. There's going to be this beautiful kaleidoscope of the glory of God that will be in heaven. We're we're still going to be experiencing aspects of human culture. But that in and of itself is a heavenly culture. Down here on earth, we're all in competition, right? North and south, east and west. It won't be that way in heaven. We're going to love one another and all that All that rivalry will be gone. Verse number one, I love how Paul speaks to them. He says, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown. He just loves them so much. 
he's so pleased to write to them. Paul sees before him a relationship that will never end. The Philippians, his relationship with the church at Philippi will never end. And their love for Paul will never end. It's enduring. The relationships you build in this life, in this idea of sharing the gospel with people, might be relationships you're building building at Little League with people that are lost. If all you ever share is baseball, it's going to come to an end. And if they're not in Christ, you will never see those people again. It doesn't matter if you like them. It's not good enough. The partnership in the gospel is the thing that God wants us to mix and intermingle with our society and tell them. He wants us to tell them the good news. And guess what? Some are going to reject, but there's going to be others that will accept it. And that relationship will go from here to way up here because it's going to be a relationship that will never end. It doesn't matter if they move to a different state. It doesn't matter. We will see them again. As Pastor Jeff preached to us, the Lord of the vineyard is returning. This thing we call our life is actually not our life at all. It is the Lord's life. It belongs to him. We are his servants. We belong to him. And he's coming again. He's coming again. What we do now should be in light of the fact the Lord is coming again to claim his own, and we are going to be, from that point, going into an eternal state where these relationships that are in Christ will absolutely be the joy of our life. The fallen world will be transformed. These things that we're so in love with in this life, that we're so tempted by, they'll be done away with. Do you remember Lot's wife? She was leaving Sodom at the time, a very cosmopolitan, very in vogue city. All the beautiful people live there. City of great commerce, great wealth. God said, leave it because of its wickedness. And Lot's wife couldn't bear the thought of leaving her life in Sodom. And she turned, and when she did, God turned her into a pillar of salt. God wants us to be salt and light in this world. Is Jesus your treasure? What kind of community are you trying to build? Are you putting all your efforts in a community that just won't last? Or do you see it? Do you see the Lord returning? Do you see the Lord's at hand? Do you see it? He's coming again. He's going to make all things new. And those relationships that we build in Christ with this lost world to help them to know the truth and to be free from their debt of sin and to come into the knowledge of Jesus Christ, it's going to be an everlasting relationship. It's going to be a lasting community. Our bond and our affection in Christ is eternal. Paul calls them my joy. You're my joy and my crown. He says, so stand fast 
He's coming back to that. Stand fast. He says, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things are passed away. The partnership is not only a lasting community, it's a resolute understanding. It's a resolute understanding. Think of that word resolute. What do we think of? We think of something that is girds our mind, right? It's, it's resolute is that, is that mindset that you're, you're going to be strong in this. You're going, to be, you're going to endure. It's going to be something you persevere in. This partnership is a resolute understanding. We see this in verses 4 through 9. But look at verses 4 through 7 for a moment. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Sometimes people connect that the wrong way. I want you to notice the grammar. All you grammar police out there will love this. It doesn't say rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord's at hand as one, as one sentence. There's just a declarative. Rejoice. This should be a state of, of, of the, the constant state we're in, knowing the Lord is coming again. But notice how he connects this. He connects this in a, in a, sep- a separate thought, and it's got a semicolon in it for us in English. But it's connecting the thought of the Lord being at hand with not being anxious. What if you were to lose everything? I've struggled with anxious thoughts before. How do you get through that? You go to what can't be taken away from you. What if I lose my family? What if I lose all my money? What if I lose all my possessions? What if I lose my entire health? What do I still have? I still have Jesus. That's what he's trying to say. The Lord's at hand. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Listen to this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there be any excellence, if there be any, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. This is not a recommendation It's a command for our thinking to be adjusted to the things of the heavenlies. Listen, we're we're bombarded with such ugliness all around us. I don't think there's ever been an age that has been bombarded like us with marketing ads. We have them on our phones. I got one right in my pocket. We have a computer we walk around with, and unfortunately, we want to stick it up to our face every spare second we have. 
But what's coming through on those messages? Unfortunately, the old saying, if it bleeds, it leads, from the old newspaper era, it's still true today. You get more attention from catastrophes than you do from goodness. So what do our marketers do to sell us stuff? What do our news people do so that we'll watch their news and see their ads? They bombard us with terrible, terrible things. Many of these things we have no control over. God's called us not to stick our head in the sand. It's not what I'm saying. What he has called us to do, though, is let our default position be thinking about the good things of God. Why? Because the peace of God accompanies that. The peace of God does not accompany thinking about catastrophes nonstop. What does that bring? Well, it gives us a series of feeling of depression, a hopelessness, of despair. All these things that just do not add flavor to our life. It strips all the flavor out of life. If there be anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What is God going to do with our church? Pastor Daniel mentioned about the amazing things God did during COVID. We're we're all volunteer pastors here. There there wasn't any great marketing campaign, I assure you. There wasn't any great uh, uh, appeal to the masses. We just said, you know, we think we probably should start meeting again. And we went outside and God did the rest. He worked in your own hearts and you said, hey, we're meeting. You ought to come worship with us. People drove by and saw us out here. Whatever is true, God is talking about, or Paul is talking about objective truth in God's word. He's not talking about the my truth movement, right? Where my truth simply means I'm going to lie to you, insist that it's true. And you're going to capitulate and believe it or you're a hater. That's kind of the new thing. I don't know that how new it is. I was watching some newsreels from the 70s. It's basically an old thing rebranded. And that's this, the suppression of divine truth so that we will accept the lie of the devil. It's the goal of the devil is to suppress the truth. Eve, God knows that if you eat of the tree of that fruit, you're going to be like a God knowing good and evil. It's the same lie. Well, these religious people know if you do this, then this great thing is going to happen to you. We know that's not true. We could see it with our own eyes. It's not my truth. It's the Lord's truth. And God wants us to dedicate ourselves to it. So this resolute understanding is, we see this in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 4. It says, there's a reason to rejoice always. The Lord's at hand. The one who saved you, the one who redeemed you, the one, the promised one is coming again. Let your mind rest on that. There's a reason to rejoice. If you woke up this morning feeling really frowny, you have a reason to rejoice. You say, well, George, you just don't know my life. Well, what if you lost everything in your life but you had Jesus? Could you rejoice? The answer to that is yes. Because this is temporary. 
We all have a day. We all have a numbered set of days. I don't know what that is. Mine could be, this could be, out of 500 days, this could be day 499. We don't know. But we know this. We have something that cannot be taken away. And that is our communion we have in Christ, that we are his children, we're forgiven, and that he's coming again. I think it's sad sometimes that in Reformed circles, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ is not emphasized as much. And I'm telling you, it's part, it's key to our joy. It's key to our happiness. It's key to our sense of urgency. The Lord is going to return. God wants us. We see this in verse number five. It's a reason to rise above offenses. Let's don't be a people easily offended. We need to rise above these offenses. It's a reason for faith over anxiety. And I'm not George medical doctor. I'm just George Christian. And I'm telling you what God's telling you. Don't be anxious. The Lord's at hand. All these things that fill up your life, that make you anxious, they're all going to be gone when the Lord returns. They will be of no value to you. My mom used to say this, and I, I question her, her, her sense of st- uh, statistical analysis, but she said 99% of the things we worry about never happen anyway. <laughs> well, that's true. Probably not true. Actually true statistically. But the point she was driving at was this. Stop thinking about all the negative things. That's really what she meant. Stop worrying about these things that are probably never going to happen. Think about the thing you know is going to happen. The Lord is at hand. He's at hand. He's coming again. As sure as the sun rises, he's coming again. And the Bible says this is where the peace of God comes from. You want to know where the peace of God comes from? It comes from that thought. It comes from looking up and seeing the beauty of God, knowing that all this could have been different, not as pretty. All the flowers, all the variation we have is the goodness of God. If that's what this sinful life is, imagine what heaven is going to be like. We have a reason for faith over anxiety. God wants us to have a resolute understanding. He wants us to be firm in what we believe, firm in what we think about. Think about his goodness. Think about the fact he's at hand, he's coming again. It's also a reason to pray and give thanks. So rather than be anxious, we need to commit those things in real life that are real troubles. We have real trouble, do we not? I mean, mean, one thing doesn't eradicate the other, but God says, take those things, commit them to me in prayer. Just commit them to me. Be thankful for what you have. Be thankful for my goodness in your life and commit the things that don't seem good to you at the time. Commit them all to me in in prayer. Ask me to help you. Ask me to give you grace to bear up under the trial. We have a reason to enjoy God's goodness. There is nothing in this life so sad that can prevent us from being thankful and enjoying the good things of God. One doesn't eradicate the other. It feels that way emotionally, but it's not real. What's real is they're all happening at the same time. The unhappiness is here. It's happening. But what's happening at the same time is God is displaying his goodness to us every day. 
And what he wants us to do, he wants us to think on these things. Think on them. Meditate on them. Is it praiseworthy? Is it good? Is it just? Think on these things. And we have a reason to possess peace of mind. If you're here today, and there may be many people here today, say, George, I just got a call. My mom's got cancer. I just got a call on Friday. I just lost my job. May have got a diagnosis for one of your children that was, will change the way your family lives. I am not saying today, and neither is Paul saying to the Philippians, all those things don't exist. It's not what he's saying. What he's saying is God will give you peace of mind in the middle of it. In the midst of it. Pam and I were talking about when Olivia was little, and hopefully Olivia won't mind me retelling this story. But the, we didn't go into the, we were there for six months. at Four months at Children's and two months at another hospital. We didn't go in there preaching to the nurses. They had a job to do. But they would come to us and ask us, how are you handling this? Why, why, why do you do the things that you do? They, they, they were curious. Something was weird about our behavior compared to everybody else's. Was our daughter any less sick? No. Was the threat of death any less? No. But God is good. And I repeated this pre-Facebook in a website called Caring Bridge. I started off every post I made. God is good and right in everything that he does. I preached that message to myself for six months. God is good and right in everything that he does. Everything that he does. I just don't understand how it's all going to work out. But that doesn't mean God is not right and good in everything that he does. I had to cling to that. And you know what it gave me? It gave me peace. It gave me the strength to bear up in hard times. This world cannot give that to us. It's Jesus Christ that gives us this peace of mind. The God of peace will be with you. You might be struggling with some things. It doesn't matter. The God of peace will be with you. He doesn't want you to wallow in the anxiety and and think about all the problems. He wants you to behold his goodness and he wants you to trust him. It's an act of faith. It is a faith-building exercise. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And the last thing, we won't have time to go into all the points, but the last thing is this partnership is a confident contentment. It's a confident contentment. We see in the life of Paul where he's telling them, I learned something in this state where you've been ministering to me. There were some times where you couldn't, you didn't have opportunity, but then you did, and so you acted on that. He goes, I've learned whatever state I'm in to be content. Our biggest problem in a materialistic world is we are not content. 
We are discontented. And our discontentedness is not based on the fact that we don't have as much of Jesus as we want. That's not what's driving that. It is other things that are earthly and worldly and temporary. And Paul's saying, I found that when I'm hungry, I could be content. When I'm full, I could be content. When I have prosperity, I could be content. When I'm suffering want, I can be content. He said it's a, it's, a, it's a secret. It's a secret. Nobody else understands this because that's not what they're pursuing. Christians can pursue this because they're in Christ and they have the Holy Spirit in their hearts. God wants you to pursue this. He wants you to learn this lesson Paul learned. He wants you to be, have a giving heart, be aware and tuned in to other people's needs and give towards that. But he wants us to be content. Are you content today? Are there things in your life that have gotten bigger than Jesus? They seem like they can't be solved. I'm telling you, I don't know how it's going to work out in your life, but I know this. Jesus is the treasure. And the first thing we need to do as Christians is go to repentance. And we need to repent of our sins, of our unbelief. And we need to start there. And then we need to go back to God's word and we need to say, look at his truth and say, what has God commanded me to do in this situation that's already written down? You need to talk, as Paul says, imitate me, imitate others that are followers of Christ. We need, to, we need to seek good counsel. And I hope you'll do that today. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Our Lord, we love you. We're thankful that you're good to us. We see it in everything around us as we live our lives. You're good to us in giving us more than we really deserve. But most importantly, giving us forgiveness and giving us an inheritance as a son through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. We rejoice in the Holy Spirit and his work in our lives. Lord, I do pray for those today that have come to the service today and they They put on an artificial smile because in their heart they feel so discouraged about something. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage them in their faith today. You would help them to follow the admonition in Philippians chapter 4. I pray, Lord, that you would grant them peace that is beyond understanding. It's not logical that they should have peace, but in the midst of it, you still give us peace. Thank you so much for your goodness and for your love for us. You're at hand. We long for the day to see you face to face. Words in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.